Hello, my degenerate angels. It's another beautiful day in this hellhole that we call our world. And this is another illuminating, enlightening, and awakening episode of my Z-List podcast, Tales of Taboo. My name is Allie Weiss. I am a downtown New York multimedia host and writer obsessed with literally any and everything that would make your conservative aunt clutch her pearls. In other words, the people, experiences, ideas, and careers that are outside the bounds of what society considers traditionally acceptable. In other words, the things that we are discouraged from talking about, but all talk about behind closed doors anyway. So normally, Each week, I invite my audience and their friends and their friends of friends to share their life stories about these taboo topics behind the shield of complete anonymity. But every once in a while, I will encounter an exceptional person who is willing to go on the record with their unconventional life stories and hot takes, and we will sit down for a one-on-one chat. Some past interview subjects include pop culture writer Evan Ross Katz, high-end escort Vivian Cole, and bikini-slash-nude model Anna Heron. And this week, we have a legend in the house. Her name is Megan Barton Hansen, and for anyone who watched season four of Love Island, she needs no introduction. But for those of you who didn't watch, First of all, what the fuck are you doing? Go watch it now. Love Island is legit the only reality show that I religiously watch. Um, I mean, there is Rock of Love, but that hasn't actively aired in like 13 years. So yeah, just Love Island. And every season of Love Island is watched by the entire UK, which includes politicians and morning show hosts and people's 90-year-old grandmothers. Seriously. And every season, the everyday people who choose to go on it become these massive celebrities overnight. Meg inarguably was the star of season four, but she also got painted as the season's villain. So the tabloid headlines that came out about her and still do range from chaotic and sensationalist to downright nasty. Um, The British tabloids are obsessed with dissecting her appearance and her sex and dating life and got her OnlyFans and her feminist opinions. But behind all of these headlines is a woman who's so kind and so smart and hilarious and who I'm really proud to call my friend. So instead of the usual conversation about these controversial headlines, which is what most people who interview Meg ask her about, I wanted to talk to her about what the media's treatment of her represents about reality TV culture as a whole and whether the fame and glamour is actually worth all of the horrible mistreatment. I can earnestly say this is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done and with one of my favorite people. So settle in, grab your champagne or your joint, or actually, you know what? I take it back. Don't if you're actively driving a vehicle commuting to work. Anyway, without further ado, this is Tales of Taboo. Some reporter like asked you if you would ever get back with Wes Nelson after you guys broke up and you were like, I would rather shit in my hands and clap. And they quoted you on it. And it was like front page news. And I found that and I was like, this bitch is 
my best friend. <laughs> and I posted it on Instagram and you ended up seeing it. And we just became like digital pen pals ever since. Yeah, I loved it because at the time my management, my management were fuming. They was like, you can't post shit like this. It's not a good image. It's so tacky. It's so trashy. And I was like, but it was such a good say. And I think I only heard it like a week before. And I was like, I need to recycle that. And it was perfect. People were like, oh, you want him back? Would you take him back? I was like, absolutely not. And so we were pen pals for like two years. And then finally we met up when I was in London in October. And um, first we went to a burlesque show the first night we met. And then we went to this random bar that you took me to that ended up being like a middle-aged person's <laughs> birthday party. It was like a wedding party. It was the only place I knew where we could definitely get in without a queue. And the guy I was seeing was like, I know the owners, they'll look after you, head there, went there. It was like a family reception at a <laughs> wedding. I was like, has someone been christened? Are we at a wedding? What's happening? And then we all just felt so uncomfortable. I was like, okay, the only way to deal with this is I'm just going to like wipe this dance floor with my ass. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. I'm going to drop it all the way down with all of these randos. And I did. And then a couple of days later, we went to the American football when NFL came to London and went on yet another bender. That was an experience. All I took away from that, I know nothing about American football. We had a lot to drink. We then got on a tube and vaped through one nostril <laughs> and thought that we were like, amazing. Like the worst part of that is that I had multiple people send me videos of them doing it afterwards, vaping through their nose and blowing it out through their nose. And I was like, you guys, this is obviously not something you should try at home. Like, do we do we really have to put that disclaimer? We were obviously hammered and on public transportation. Go find better role models. You know, yeah. what I mean? if there's anyone to not copy, it's, it's us. us. Especially us together, drunk. Like, come on, one hundred percent no. Um, okay, so I'm so excited to be talking to you today. This is something I've wanted to do for ages. I think that you are just like so brilliant, so fascinating, so honest, so raw. And I'm going to try to ask you questions that the rest of the world has not asked you. Amazing. Because I just feel like the same questions are like regurgitated at you over and over and you answer them beautifully. But every time I've seen an interview with you or heard an interview with you, I'm just like, what are y'all doing? You know, you have so much to say. And I feel like people only see you through this very small yeah. lens. It's two topics. It's OnlyFans or surgery. And it's like, <laughs> that's a small part of me. Like, right. I've had surgery. I love a bit of filler. I love big titties. Right. But there's much more to me than that. <laughs> so obviously, you've spoken a lot about your past as a stripper. And so that's not something I want to spend too much time on. But what I have always been very curious about is, by the time you went on to Love Island, you knew what a big show it was. And you mm. probably knew that going in there was going to make you famous to a certain degree. Were you paranoid that people were going to dig up information about your past before going into the villa? And when you were there without a phone cut off from the outside world, was it something that made you paranoid? Or were you just like, fuck it, I'm proud of this. I don't care. It's so hard because I'm quite an introvert and quite quiet. I thought I'm going to go on this show, but I won't be like a main character. I won't be in here for the duration. It'll be like a week or two. It might boost my following up on, I had OnlyFans back then, on OnlyFans, on social media, which is all great, more money for me. So I was like, oh, okay, we'll be in there a week. People won't really know me. But then when I was in there longer and longer, I was like, oh, okay, maybe people are going to start digging now. Um, but I did. I walked in and the first conversation I had was with Dr. Alex, who is like so straight laced. Obviously, like he's a doctor. And he was like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a stripper because my 
defense mechanism. If if I can laugh at myself and I can own it, then people can't say shit. Yeah, I relate to that so much. So that was my energy. But the longer I was in there, the more I thought they must be digging now. They must be doing something. And then it wasn't until the girls from Casa Moore came in. And obviously they're coming in three weeks later. And they're not supposed to tell us anything about the outside world. But what one lovely lady decided to share with me is that I have my own video on Pornhub. Mm. So that was lovely. <laughs> and you were like, okay, I've really made it. Like, yeah. that was the fame that I was really looking for. I'm like, here. I'm going to be the next Kim Kardashian. <laughs> no, I was panicking so hard. Yeah, and I repeatedly, hard. like, asked producers, just show me what it is so I can relax. Like, at the time, I was on anti-anxiety, depression medication. So I was already a little bit anxious. And I just said, if you just show me what it is, I won't tell the others. Right. I can move on with my experience, really like enjoy it wholeheartedly. But I was like, no, we've looked, there's nothing, there's nothing. Little did I know, I was like the most hated woman in the UK for that whole period. <laughs> I mean, but I wonder though, like had the producers actually told you what was happening and shown you that video, yes, you would have had um, the comfort of knowing what was out there, but don't you think that would have like plagued you and your experience for the rest of the time that you were in there? At least for someone like me, it would have just been like an endless loop and I would have become so hyper aware of the cameras that I'm sure they actually do a good job of disguising. Yeah. You know what I mean? They are hidden. You don't see any cameraman, so you do get comfortable. You're kind of aware at some points, like the recouplings and stuff. But for the most part, you don't forget that you're on camera because everybody, you can tell that's not 100% their authentic self. They're like doing an edited version because we know at this point it's such a big show. You're going to have a huge platform when you come off, so everyone wants to be loved. But I don't know. For me, I feel like my biggest anxiety comes from the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. If I had known then I could kind of like digest it, process it. And in reality, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't like a whole porn video. I thought someone had recorded, I used to do webcam and I thought someone had recorded a whole video chat. They hadn't. It's just screenshots of me like with a toy. Yeah. Like it's not that bad. But how she come in and was like, oh my God, you're on Pornhub. Do you know? I'm like, obviously I don't know this. I've uh, yeah. been in here. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. So going back to what you mentioned about everybody being like an edited version of themselves, are cast members transparent with each other about what they're looking for out of the show? Like, did you guys ever kind of whisper to each other being like, I'm here for X, Y, and Z reason? Or is it just everyone cranking that bullshit about like, I'm here to find love? It was the fakest thing I've ever done. And like... <laughs> A lot of my friends, I don't have a lot of girlfriends because I hate the whole fakeness. Yeah. Like, if you're in a group of girls and you're slagging one off, be honest about it. Don't hang out with her. Don't be like, oh, Brittany, I love your top. And then behind her back chat shit. But that is what Love Island was. Yeah. And the boys would hint or the girls would hint like, oh, they done makeup on the side or they want to get into music. And it's like... You, we all know why each other is here, but like no one to the death. You could be like taking your last breath and they wouldn't admit, I'm just here for the followers. Whereas I kind of did. I was like, it's going to yeah. boost my OnlyFans. It's going to boost my Instagram. And at the time I was doing glam modeling. So the more followers I had on Instagram for that, the more small deals I'd get or the more followers I'd get for OnlyFans, which equates to money. Everybody who goes into this show or most reality shows is a makeup artist or a fairly unknown stripper or a nurse or a pharmacist or a carer or like all of these jobs that are very quote unquote normal. Mm. So you go into the show where so many eyes are on you that right away you become well known. And by the time you come out, really like no matter how long you've been in there, there's press attention on you. And for somebody like you who made it all the way through to the end, you come out and all of a sudden your life is completely different. Like everybody 
recognizes you. And obviously reality TV is massive in America, but Love Island is like a national treasure in the UK. Like people in the fucking government are watching it. Like people (laughs) who host like daytime TV shows are watching it. I'm like, what is this? So that must have been an adjustment for you. Like I know that you knew it would raise your profile, but did anybody prepare you for the fact that you'd like land at the airport and all of a sudden you will have had a completely different life? No, it was shocking. So with me, because I had such bad press before the finale, like finale party, everyone was having fun and they took me off into a room. It was like, just to let you know, like these are the headlines that have run about you. And my whole world like shattered. I was like from here in happiness to literally, I didn't know what to do because like, Everyone was having fun. I didn't want to ruin Wes's night and be like, babe, by the way, this has come out, this has come out. There was, like, escorting rumours, me sniffing cocaine, me doing, like, the most. And I was just like, this is so bad. Like, I just didn't want to leave. Like, I remember saying to the producers, like, I don't want to go home. I just want to stay here. Um, But then I am quite resilient. And I knew the Pornhub thing, my past working in the sex industry was going to be used against me. I think the thing that was most heartbreaking was my appearance. Because as a woman, we should do whatever we want with our bodies. And I know for a fact there was girls in there with me that slipped under the radar, had full BBL, like, what's it called? Like, ab etching, where they, like, Mm -hmm. do all that. Slipped under the radar. But me, for some reason, I was like the point of everyone's like, hey, and because I acted like a man, I feel, it rubbed people up the wrong way. And I was like, right, what can we use against her? She's coming in here, dating all the guys, acting like a man, who does she think she is? So they just found something to hate, but that was like the worst part for me. And then I remember just before we got on the flight, we was all looking on YouTube, it was the first time we had access to internet. And at the bottom, it come up, Megan Barton Hanson before and after, and I was mortified. Imagine with your new boyfriend and all these fit people, and then there's a picture of me, like the picture that circulated everywhere, the scarf, the glasses, the no lips. They chose the worst (laughs) possible picture also. Honestly. The lighting was even bad. I don't know where that picture was taken. I don't know who the fuck sold it, but if I ever see them, I'm going to kill the bitch. I'll I'll crack the champagne bottle (laughs) over there. Did you see my eyes look at the bottle? (laughs) what would I do like turn it into a weapon (laughs) shards of glass no I'm with you that's you know what it's so horrible I'm like I'm gonna say something controversial but I think it needs to be said like I even remember when you came onto the screen the friend that I was binging that season with we were both like like she's so beautiful you know what I mean and like you're obviously absolutely stunning in real life but the camera also loves you and that's hard because there's a lot of people who look a certain way in real life and don't look the same on camera or look stunning on camera and horrible in real life a lot of movie stars are actually like that but you looked so beautiful on camera I think people chose to dissect your appearance because it's like the age-old thing like they're making fun of you because they're jealous or like they want to pick you apart because they're jealous like a lot of people on Love Island have obviously had surgery but right away people were comparing you to Margot Robbie Mm. you know what I mean and so I think that had you not been so pretty People wouldn't have cared as much. But this is like an issue that really permeates like Western society as a whole. There is so much pressure on women to be perfect. So much pressure on women to be beautiful by any means necessary. Become anorexic, get plastic surgery, beat your face with makeup, have your hair done every day, sacrifice your whole personality to to be the Western ideal of beauty. Mm. But then you do that and like people are resentful of you. They become really resentful of like how much effort you've put in or the fact that you shamelessly like want to look a certain way. And it just, you can't 
win. And I feel like I, even though I didn't know you then, I feel like I watched that play out with you in real time. And mm. it's just like, it's it's heartbreaking even for somebody to watch that from afar. It's sad. I feel like as a woman, unless you come out the womb naturally beautiful, you're fucked. People are going to scrutinize. And like, you can't win. If you're not pretty enough, then you're not. There is a thing like pretty privilege is a real thing. We can't deny it. You're going to get further being pretty and conforming to the Western ideal of beauty. You do that. And if you're not natural, then you get penalized for that. So how can you win? Unless you're like blessed and your parents have the best genes in the world, which is like a slim proportion of us, especially now. I feel like it's increasingly harder to be the ideal standard of beauty. Like it's forever changing. You've got to have like the tiniest waist, the biggest ass, the biggest tits, the perfect teeth. Like it's just getting worse and worse with social media. So unless you're that slim proportion of person that has these amazing genes, you're fucked as a woman because you can't be fake and get there using your money. So like, how do you win? Yeah. It's hard. And it's crazy to see that even, what, four years you've been out of the show now, something like that, and people still can't stop talking about your surgery. Like, you go for these interviews. At least it's not, like, front-page news anymore, but it just, it kills me. I'm like, shut up. Like, it's old news. Everybody knows. And you've been so honest and transparent about it, which is, I think, so commendable because, you know, a huge issue that people have with the Kardashians, for example, like not to throw any shade, but like none of them want to admit that their entire being that they've become famous of off of is is fake. You yeah. know what I mean? And um, yeah, so obviously, you know, you got surgery before going into the show, but then when you came out and all of these cameras were on you 24-7 and people were talking about you 24-7, did you then feel pressure to get more surgery? No, I think I went the opposite way, you know, because that whole experience, it was like a retreat and I felt like I was so in love with the guy I came out with and I just could see all these opportunities ahead of me how I looked, and because I've been penalised for the way I looked, I thought, well, people are going to judge me anyway. I could have, like, the perfect nose, the best lips ever, the biggest boobs. People are still going to judge me, but, like, well, that's fake. So there's no point trying to please everyone. I think I went the opposite. I think I gained, like, a stone just because I was happy. I was living my life. I was going to events. I was in, like, that's what you do when you're in a new relationship. So I think I cared less. But then it come again because there was like, oh, my God, you've got so fat. You've let yourself go. You're not how you was on Love Island. So I've just learned, like, as a woman or as anyone in the public eye, you can't win. There's going to be people to put you down no matter what. Even people like Dr. Alex, who I would say is the most conforming, straight-laced, ideal person, the person you'd want your daughter to bring home. He still got hate, so you honestly cannot win. Yeah. And I think the moment you let that go, it comes with age, but the moment you let that go, you're going to be happier. I love ITV and, like, everything they've done, they have, like, supported us so much. And there is people you can speak to after. If you want to pick up the phone, there's a therapist. But I don't think that cuts it. I feel like we really do need to have, like proper media training after and like financial advisors like someone to like strategize like what you're going to do when you come out with your platform because every management wants to sign you to have like the most love islanders they're going to promise you you're going to be the next molly may or the next kim kardashian but really for boys especially with women we've got beauty we've got fashion with men it's so much harder and i think that's why we see men's especially mental health after reality just hit rock bottom because you're up on this pedestal. You're going to PAs. You're getting paid thousands of pounds to party. You're drinking. You're introduced to a lifestyle where cocaine and 
dr- drugs and drink and girls and everything's there. And then by the next year, or now it's like two Love Islands a year, there's another cast and you're irrelevant. And your fee for a PA as a man goes from three grand to 500 pounds. And then you're already in that cycle of like having to buy the flashy watch, the flashy car. People are handing you cocaine at parties. How is someone going to men- like look after their mental health when they're partying all the time and getting? You can walk through a bar and people are like handing you shots. I watched this happen when I was with you, <laughs> and right? I was like, I mean, amazing power to you that like it's because you're entrepreneurial that you have remained just as relevant now as you were when you came out. But I was blown away. I was like. You could ask someone to buy you a fucking magnum of champagne and they would be like, right away, Meg. And yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's you know dangerous. What I mean? And you're just lucky that you were in an industry before going into the house where like you were used to that kind of attention and you were used to people buying you things and making a lot of money and having to learn how to manage it. But you you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to ask you, like, does anybody strategize about what they're going to do when like you have this nonstop schedule of PAs. You have all of these brands wanting to work with you. You're basically getting paid tons of money to just be yourself. But mm. especially for somebody who comes from like a lower or middle class background, and isn't used to having gobs of money at their disposal. I can imagine a lot of these people go broke like real quick. Yeah, and burn themselves out. Like yeah. I watched the guy I come out with the show with, Wes. He had about 70 PAs booked. Imagine on your mental health going from one to the other, hardly having any sleep day after day, sometimes two in a night. And like you said, if you're coming from a working class background and you see all that money being offered, you're not going to turn it down. You're going to push yourself to exhaustion. And the only way to cope is by having a drink and doing that drugs. I'm not saying he done that, but I'm just saying like a lot of people in the industry, I think that's what we need. It's not about having a therapist to say, how are you coping? Online trolls, that's just an element. It's like managing money, your life after that, because I think so many people, girls and boys, they get sucked in to keeping up appearances, especially with social media. And it's all about, for women, we can wear a boohoo top for like £2 and look cute. For men, it's all about that flashy stuff. And I feel so sorry for men in the industry. I mean, men's mental health isn't spoken about enough Ever. anyway. Yeah. And it's so hard for a man to say, do you know what? I'm feeling shit today because it's seen as weak. But let alone in this industry where you've got to uphold that standard of like four watches, four cars, loads of girls. Every time you go and buy a table in London, that's like grand and grand. And I just think I feel it's a, a lot of pressure and there's no one to help us with that. And I think that's what we need. And that would help people a lot in the industry, like a game plan. And to be realistic and say, look, right now you're current. Everyone's going to love you. You're going to have everything given to you. But in six months, it's going to slow down. So say, like, we need financial people or just people to educate us, not just, like, greedy managers that are like, oh, yeah, do this show, do this, do this PA, and work you into the ground or into exhaustion. So speaking of managers, what are managers like for reality stars? Because I've obviously had managers as somebody who's, like, an on-air host and a presenter and actor, but... When you come out of the show and like your biggest asset is yourself and your social media following and how hot you are, you know what I mean? Like, how do managers pitch themselves to you and and how do you know who to go with when I'm sure all of these people are making you these insane promises about how much money they can make for you and you're going to travel the world and you're going to get brand deals and X, Y, Z. Like, what is the kind of business approach that they come to you with? So when you leave, ITV will give you like a sheet and on it's all different contacts and like different managers, their contact details. So I would look up who they represented from previous years as a guide. But how it worked with me, there was a guy who'd already got other girls in. So I think he got in Olivia Atwood mm-hmm. and then Cara Delahoyd. Mm-hmm. 
So we're all glamour girls. So he would go to a, my good friend who run this glamour magazine and be like, right, what girls have you got? And that's how I got on. They asked me to do it. And I was like, I don't know. I'm really shy. I don't want to do it. And I, I went just to push myself to think I'm quite shy. But if I go for the interview and they like me, what a confidence boost. Like, just get out there and do it. And I went with my two northern friends and they're so loud and so bubbly. I thought they're never going to ever ask me back. But I think because I was just open and honest, they did. So this guy, because he had like gone through my friend to get me from the Glam magazine, he felt like he had a right to me. Mm. And I came out and he tried to sign me into a six year contract <gasps> with him. Six years? You six. might as well give him your firstborn child at that point. <laughs> right? What the fuck? And he's greedy. Like he looks after some of the biggest reality stars in the UK, like Joey Essex and like really famous people. Yeah. So I'm like, at this point, you're just being greedy. Like you maybe got me like a few bits of like free clothes to take into the villa, but you really didn't do much. Like I sold myself to the producers. I got myself in there. If I had no personality, like it's nothing that you've done. Um, so I didn't go with him and I just stayed with my friend who wasn't a manager he just looked after the glamour magazine and he just advised me and we turned down so many things at the beginning but I think I was so fortunate like you said earlier where I'd come from having absolutely nothing and working in the city as a legal PA on 20 grand a year to then making I don't know six grand a night in a strip club money wasn't the be all and end all I was like what am I gonna do because in my mind although we never admitted it to each other Everyone other than me, it felt, had a game plan, wanted to be a singer, this, that. I was like, what on earth am I going to do? Yeah. Like, I'm not that into fashion. I get so cringed out about doing, like, videos and shit like that. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, hey, guys, let's unbox, and I'm going to teach you how to do my signature hairstyle. (gasps) Do you know how many times those things have been offered to me? And I'm like, I would honestly rather cut off one of my fingers and like sell it I just it's not that I think there's anything wrong with that it's totally respectable I just I can't take myself seriously enough to do that you know what I mean and I feel like it's so narcissistic like oh look at you working your nine to five I'm just gonna open this free shit I've been sent with thousands of pounds aren't you jealous like no I cannot do that Honestly, it's so evil. I know, it really is. So did you have situations of like changing management? Did you ever feel mismanaged? Did you feel like you were with managers who were trying to turn you into something that you didn't want to be? Yeah, so when I came out, my friend was looking after me for a period of time. But then I felt like I was turning down too much. He didn't really know the industry. I didn't. It was like the blind leading the blind. And I love him <laughs> to death, but I don't know what we was up to. Yeah. We were just like not doing anything. Um. No, to be fair to him, he did get me the um, cover of Grazia. So he he That was well. a big moment for you too. I remember they like took all your makeup off and they were like, Meg, natural. And I'm like, still beautiful. Like, what are you trying to prove? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is her without all the hair extensions. Right, and, and I'm like, else. she still looks really hot. So you just shot yourself with that one. Wanna be after the amount I spent on surgery, hun. Do you imagine <laughs> if I didn't? I'd, be, I'd want a refund. <laughs> That would have been a scandal in and of itself. Like, take off the hair extensions, take off the makeup. And it's like, oh, fuck. Like, she still looks terrible. And that figure they plucked out, like, £50,000 or something. Imagine, £50,000 and I still looked awful. I'll be straight back to them surgeons. (laughs) I'm going to spit up my shit. Oh, my God. Sorry. Okay, continue. But, um, yeah, I had about four managers in about six months. I was going through them quicker than I was boyfriends at that point. <laughs> but 
But the thing is, I had always made my own money. Like that's why I wanted to be a stripper and a webcam model and a sex worker because then the power's all in my hands. Yeah. And I guess I am a bit of a control freak. So having people promise you the world and to be like the next Kim Kardashian and you can have this show and that show and do and it's all just talk because they want their commission. So yeah, I went for about four or five and then I was like, no, I found my people. I think something that most people don't realize and I've actually lectured a bunch of friends of mine who love reality TV not just Love Island but like The Bachelor or The Only Way is Essex or I don't know any of the 10,000 shows that are on MTV I'm like you guys do realize that once you get involved with one of these shows you can never go back to your normal life like I know that there's been some exceptions. You mentioned the pandemic. I remember like a couple of past cast members who were like nurses or pharmacists or whatever, like went back and rejoined the NHS or um, I was like, it was very cool for me to see that. But you know what I mean? Like you, you fade, you fade out of relevance because there's always a new cast, but then your profile is too high for you to go back, like sitting behind a desk and not have half the people who come into your business being like, what are you doing here? And like, there's been a couple cast members that have been fashion models. And I forget who it was, but I remember one of them gave an interview and she was like, I can't go to castings for like ASOS or whatever it was anymore because people look at me and they're like, you're too, like, you're too famous to be here. What are you doing here? Even though she's faded out of relevance because there's been more casts after hers. Um, and I just, I wish that more people would understand that as we've been talking about, if you don't go into the show that you do with a strategy, it's so easy to be stuck in this purgatory, you know, for the rest of your young years, maybe your whole life of having to do brand deals or mm. having to like scrounge for brand deals or get a small amount of money to do personal appearances. So <clears throat> I just, I'm happy to be having this conversation because yes, it's obviously glamorous and there are so many opportunities, but like what happens to half of the people who go on these shows? You still see them on Instagram, but like, what are they doing with their time? Yeah. And you think like, what are you actually getting paid? Like if your followers are dropping significantly, like what, you can't be getting paid a lot to be turning up at these events. It's, I don't know. It is really hard. And I do think as women, not that we have less of an ego. Everybody has an ego. And I think that's what a big part of it is. Like, no one wants to be like, oh, I was on TV and now I've had to go back to my job previously. But I think for men especially, it's so hard. I don't know. With girls, we can always find, like, a brand deal. There's so many fast fashion labels if you really want to do that. But for men, it is tricky. And I really do sympathize for men in reality because it is hard. I know. And I've watched so many of them attempt like DJ careers or it's like always the DJ career. rapper careers or and it's like they just never work. You know what I mean? And it's sad because there are some people in the UK and in America who are like genuinely talented. But I also feel like it's very difficult to um, distinguish yourself from like the stigma of reality TV mm. for a certain point too. Like you have to prove yourself of being really smart and having a really strong opinion and being very talented, which like you've successfully done. But so many people want these careers, but also keep doing reality shows. And so don't get themselves out of that pigeonhole. Yeah. It's just like, keep going and going and going. And then what? You're still going to be doing reality at 40. Like you can't, you have to find... So embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. So embarrassing. But on the topic of men, this is perfect. You're like setting me up so perfectly for every transition I'm doing. 
I'm curious to see if you like feel the same way. Maybe I'm just being like too like woke and annoying about this. But something that I've always found really shocking about British reality TV in particular is how aggressive the men are allowed to act without any sort of consequence. And, you know, you see this a lot on Love Island, but like any sort of dating show, especially, or any sort of show where like people's romantic uh, situations are a big part of the plot, these men seem to act so territorial, so possessive, have the shortest tempers, are jacked up on like God knows what to get those bodies that they have. And no one is saying anything about it. And then they leave whatever show they're on. And as we've discussed, become like these objects of attention in the press and are getting so hammered and are out in the club, just like acting ridiculous, posting ridiculous things on Instagram. And again, no one is saying anything about it, especially if they're popular. Whereas women not only get slut shamed all on these shows, but like Everyone is watching them like a hawk to make sure, like, oh, are they being a bitch? Are they being a cunt? Are they being disrespectful? Are they being sloppy walking out of a club? Exactly. Then you come guy? out. Right. And it's like a woman does something that's less than perfect in front of a paparazzi camera and it's front page news. And yes, we all know that like misogyny is something that has existed since the beginning of time and will continue to exist, unfortunately. But I just I look at it throughout through this very specific sphere of reality TV. And it's like, these men behave really badly mm -hmm. and no one's doing anything. Women fuck up a little bit and it could potentially ruin their careers. So can we talk about that? Yeah, can we? Yeah. I feel like I've kept quiet about this for so long. And it's like, I'm already blacklisted from certain TV channels, certain shows because of OnlyFans. And can I say like, I'm literally using my body that I've paid for with my own money to make money. That people can't stop talking about for the record. <laughs> like your body that you paid for that you got because you wanted it, but also that people cannot shut up about. Let's just put that yeah. out there too. I love that. Thank you. Sis. You're welcome. <laughs> but um, yeah, so women, like so many girls, there's an actress, I don't know if you heard about this. She was on like a soap and she got OnlyFans. And they dropped her from her actress <gasps> in thing because she joined OnlyFans. They said, we don't tolerate this as a soap. And on our channel, we don't tolerate that. So that was a big scandal. So women will get penalized for literally having a different source of income and being the boss and like saying how much she charges for her bikini pictures, which so many other actresses, models, influencers will put all on over Instagram. Instagram for free. All over Instagram. So she's got a bit of business savvy about her, charges a price for that, and she's been dropped from her main career that she's been on that show for like 10 years or something. And then you see men walking around with aggression issues and it just gets brushed under the carpet because they're popular or because they've been in the situation for like 10 years and that to, for the show to be relevant, they need this old cast member in. And it's like, how is that acceptable that we just brush that under the carpet and then all these TV channels are like, but we offer counselling, we have therapists on site and psychs that they can speak to. That's not good enough. When you're setting someone up with a person that's clearly got anger issues and then this girl's going to fall in love and be sold the dream on a show and you're just going to like let her walk out with him and God knows what can happen and unfold in the next coming months. But it's okay because they've got a therapist on site. Like, it's so wild. My mind was blown. So wild. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like it, it really hurts my guts when I see that people, and when I say people, I mean like high up executives at these TV networks are clearly 
doing whatever they need to do to protect the people who are making them the most money. And that's a whole other problem in and of itself is like if you take somebody who's been a long running main cast member on a show who does something really bad, especially like against a woman, for example, and you compare that to like somebody who's a lower level character or maybe dabbled in like one season of a show it is so much more likely that the lower level person is going to get penalized than the person who's making the network a lot of money. And it's the same thing with the tabloids. It's almost like the tabloids don't want to report on the people who are giving them stories because that's also an economy. That's also a business. And look, I'm not in that world at all. So it's easy for me to like sit back and talk about how unjust it is. But you've clearly experienced this firsthand. Like you just said that you've been blacklisted from networks like how does this not keep you up at night I find it nauseating it's awful and it did like I've literally cried so I know there's a show coming out on the sex industry and another girl who's been in Love Island is presenting the show and I'm like hello I'm the one with experience in this industry so that I actually (sighs) cried physical tears and I love this girl who's got the job and good for her like I'm her biggest supporter like we're not that close but I love to see a woman do well But for me, that is when it really hit me because it is just political. It is who's making them the most money and not even who's been in the industry the longest, but who conforms and ticks all the boxes. And as much as people say, oh, it's fine like to have only fans and we're getting there, it's progressive. It's not like these big CEOs at the top, this rich old white man is going to hate on girls like me who are trying to change it, even though they're the ones probably subscribed to my OnlyFans. 100%. They've all jerked off to you at one point or another. <laughs> like, if you don't want to say it, I will. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, facts. But it is infuriating. But there's a point where I have to switch off, and I think I can't change everything, like, single-handedly. And the OnlyFans thing I'll preach to, f- preach about until, like, the day I'm dead the plastic surgery thing, what women want to do with their bodies, that's fine. But I think recently, like, situations have happened and I'm just like, how can this go on that, like, men can behave in a certain way and it be reported, but it's brushed under the carpet and just described as, like, oh, it was just a row. No, like, we've got a man here who's, like, six foot three, intimidating as fuck, like, scaring the shit out of a young girl. Well, I mean, I'm 28, but... <laughs> you're just a baby. In my head, we I'm a baby. You're a baby. You're a baby girl. I'm a baby girl. <laughs> my Instagram name says it. She's a baby girl. <laughs> Protect baby at all costs. Do you ever feel like there's so much pressure on you to stand up for, like, every cause that pertains to women? Because, you know, as I've mentioned on this show, but also personally... I feel like you are the one who's always standing up and saying this isn't right. Whereas it almost seems like every other woman is afraid to say anything because they don't want to botch their um, career opportunities, especially if they're already kind of on the decline. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. And like, this is something that I feel too with not only this show, but like my podcasts in the past and the public image that I've kind of created for myself. Um, It's a beautiful thing to stand up for people who don't have the strength or the opportunity to stand up for themselves. But also it's stressful and Mm. it's stressful to be like, I'm going to continue to put myself into the spotlight, continue to put myself in this position in the hopes that like other people will find the strength to also speak out because a lot of the times they don't. Yeah. 
it's so infuriating to see that like other people just conforming because it's easier when you know in yourself you've done everything you can to stand up for other women and what's right and be the voice for others who haven't got the platform that we have but when I first come out of Love Island the opportunities were flooding in and maybe people will say oh it's because you were just fresh out of Love Island. But I know if I stuck to the narrative, which when I first come out, I didn't have proper management, like we just said. So I was just like, oh no, like glamour is like part of my past. Like I'll never do that ever again. Webcam, yeah, it, I grew as a person. I don't regret it, but it was not me anymore. As soon as I took that step to get OnlyFans back, the doors shut so quickly. And I was just like, well, what can I do? So it, it's hard when you see girls, and I know girls, from before Love Island that have done similar jobs to me, but it's all been kept hush-hush. They've been strippers. They've done webcam. Like, it is infuriating. But I just think I can go to bed at night knowing that if I've helped one girl whose only option is only fans and she had shit from her friends or her family being like, oh, you're such a slut, why would you do that? And I've helped her have the confidence to make her own money, be independent, not rely on a man, not rely on a shit underpaid job then I can sleep good at night. But it definitely does come with a cost, doesn't it? Like, sticking up for people and, like, saying what people don't want to hear, even though it's all blatant in front of us, that there is different rules for men and women in reality, that there is... Women are being penalised for using their bodies. Like, it's annoying and it's stressful, but I just think at least we're helping some people that don't have a voice and giving girls, like, that independence and confidence. Talking about... Uh, like sexualization and inequalities between men and women, we've mentioned already and people know if they've read anything that obviously you were slut shamed pretty heavily when you came out of Love Island, which we all know is absolutely infuriating. We don't have to dwell on that. But I am interested in how that affected your sense of identity and like how you perceived yourself. And I feel like you probably did have an advantage here because of the fact that you were working in the industry before you went in there. But there was so much emphasis on how beautiful you were and the surgery that you had and the fact that you had slept with these two men and that you had been a stripper in the past. And it kind of created this like bombshell sex pot narrative for mm. you, even outside the bounds of Love Island. Did you feel or do you feel that you've had to play into that in order to give people what they want and keep your career going? Because I think a lot of women, no matter what industry they work in, fall prey to this idea that the way to get ahead is to sexualize yourself and to capitalize on how you look. And I, I am so in support of every single woman who, as you're doing, wants to capitalize on this thing that nobody can stop talking about. So you might as well put that money into your own hands. But has there ever been a moment where you feel like who you are privately and who you are publicly or how the press perceives you? don't align not really I feel like I've always been like a really sexual person I've always been into like my mum's super glamorous I've always been super glamorous I think if anything I go the other way so like when I come out of Love Island like I said I gained a load of weight yeah because I was going for a lot mentally 
but also to be like, fuck you. Like, this is not all I am. I dyed my hair jet black. I was dressed. I remember. <laughs> I remember. It was your goth phase. I loved it so much. It was your goth lesbian phase. And I was like, let this fucking rip, Meg. It was so good. I put on so much weight with jet black hair. I was wearing band t-shirts. I didn't even know what I these remember. bands were, can I say. DMs every day. The blisters on the feet from the DMs just to prove to every fucker, I do love pussy. Yeah. Yes, it was so good. I remember I was like, this is your coming out party. And it's happening in the press. But yeah, I think I go the opposite. But yeah, I've always been like a sexual person and super glamorous. And I think once I got over everyone's opinions, I just, yeah, got back to my blonde, big T self. Yeah. <laughs> Should be your new Instagram handle. But blonde, yeah, big titty self. I feel like since... Have being penalized for having sex with two guys in eight weeks, which can we just clear up? That's is really tame. normal. <laughs> it's very, very normal. Two guys in two months, like <gasps> what? But also, like the guys on that show, as we've been talking about, are just like constantly bed hopping and talking about women in like such a disgusting way. You know what I mean? And also, like the point of the show is to continuously recouple. Like, what is this? Like a nun's convent? Like you recouple and you're not going to do anything. It's just absolutely bananas. And like all the challenges that you guys have to do are like, give a lap dance, like give a blowjob to this banana, like spit, spit pudding into each other's mouths and like re, I mean, they're hilarious challenges to watch, but it's like everything about the show is so sexual. So then you get horny on the show and you actually do something about it. And they're like, how dare you? Oh my God. God forbid. Two guys in eight weeks. How dare she? But no, I thought that was really tame and I've always backed that. But I do think thinking about it now, I've been out what, four years? My sex life has never been so dry. I've I've been virginal, let me tell you. Maybe that has like subconsciously like hit a nerve. And now I'm like, people have to jump through so many loops to even like see my tits. Well, unless they're paying on OnlyFans. <laughs> right, but subscribe to OnlyFans. <laughs> In person <laughs> for free. <laughs> <laughs> if you want these for free. Yeah. I just I don't know what's happened. I've lost my sexual mojo. Maybe because I did get such a hard time in the press. That makes sense. Or maybe as I get older, just looking cute isn't enough. Maybe that's what Eyal taught me. Being cute isn't enough. <laughs> oh, oh my god, the champagne is spicy. <laughs> I also just ate the microphone by accident. <laughs> This champagne really does what oh, percent is this, please? On, on that note, like, fill me up. <laughs> it's really good, by the way. It's, it's absolutely good. delicious. It's strong, I feel. It tastes like Cartier champagne. Like, if I had to create a flavor profile for what I would imagine a luxury jewelry house's champagne tastes like, that we're drinking it's out of solo cups, this is what makes us sluts, for the record. It's not your sexual history. It's the fact that we're drinking champagne out of a solo cup. That's disgusting. I um, love that. So last question about your plastic surgery, but I want to ask um, specifically how it has pertained to your mental health. Um, how much of your motivation to get surgery or just like change your appearance in any capacity, whether it's like the hair or the makeup is like, I need to create this confidence that I don't have. Like in going into getting surgical procedures, did you imagine that looking a certain way would make you feel better about yourself and make the world treat you a different way? And is that what happened? Or do you still feel inside the same way that you felt before? So 
when I was I had my first surgeries at 19 I had my nose done and my boobs and I think I've said this once or twice but it wasn't really like picked up by media but the only reason I got my boobs done was to make money that's iconic that's (laughs) that's a business decision like that's the equivalent of somebody going to business school it's like I'm gonna get an MBA because I want to make more money you're like I'm gonna get my boobs done because I want to make more money right go off Meg (laughs) so I mean that's very anti-feminist no it's not that is feminist do you think yes that is feminist okay this is like here's what people need to understand right We live in a culture in Western society that values money over everything. Success directly correlates with how much money you make. Mm. There is a major pay gap between men and women. Everybody knows this. It's frequently discussed. So when women lean in to this thing that happens to us collectively, which is hypersexualization, and they take the hypersexualization that they know is going to happen to them in any industry, if you work in a law office, if you work on Wall Street, if you're a waitress, it doesn't matter what you do, people are going to try to fuck you against your will. So if you lean in to this fantasy that like heterosexual men project onto you and you use it to take money out of men's pockets and put it into your own, therefore bridging the pay gap, that I can't think of a better definition of feminism. I love that. I'm going to have to record this and just like preach in every single interview I do because that is the perfect like way to explain it. I truly believe this. And this is why anybody who shits on my friends who are strippers or who are escorts, I'm like, you are idiots. It's exactly like you were saying. You're making $20,000 a year being like a legal assistant. That's not livable pay Mm. in London or New York. Whereas my friends who are escorts are self-made millionaires you know what I mean and like and even that job when I was getting paid 20 I was getting paid 18 it's only because I had to flirt with the guy who was in charge to get it to 20 so why am I going to flirt with some old crusty man for two grand a year that I'm being like taxed on when I can go work in the strip club exactly come on exactly (laughs) so I just think that look if people want to come at sex workers and claim that sex work isn't feminist or they want to come at women who augment their bodies for financial gain and say that's not feminist like let's break down what inequality in Western societies looks like and how all we talk about is the importance of money. Mm. So what a ridiculous double standard. Women have figured out a way to hack the system to be making as much money, if not more money than men. And then once again, they're shamed for it. So please take this gospel and spread it far and wide because I think that you getting your tits done to make money is like the single smartest thing you can possibly do. And it worked, right? Yeah, and I don't know why I feel embarrassed to admit that. Like I shouldn't. There was, like, a girl on Instagram. I can't remember her name. Like, I think she was... She was, like, a glamour model, and she was making so much money when Snapchat was, like, first out. She was making so much money off Snapchat. And there was a part of me that's, like... Oh, like, I'm quite pretty. Like, I could definitely do that and earn more money than that if I had them big T's. So uh, the nose done I wanted for me. It hindered me my whole life. I hated it. And it was just... I had my dad's nose. It was just very manly for my, like, little face. Um, so I got that done and I was like, mum, why am I at it? And I'm asleep. Like, can I get my boobs done? And at the time, thank God, my dad was like, like a decent job. And he was like, okay, but you have to pay us back. No interest, but just pay us back. I was like, okay, perfect. Got them done. And there was a part in my mind that I thought I'm going to spring off this operating table and have the absolute confidence as Beyonce. And obviously that didn't happen. But at 19, you think I'm going to have big tits, small nose. Everyone's going to love me and be so confident. I'm going to achieve whatever I want in life. It didn't happen. And I think it's been years and years of therapy of nothing to do with how I look. It was never therapy of like, oh, I don't like the way, I don't know, my eyes are like unsymmetrical or like this or that or whatever people don't like about their bodies. 
it was never that. It was like a self-esteem thing, which I thought big tits and a small nose and being the Western, like, ideal beauty standard would fix. And it didn't. But I think just, like, growing up and learning to love yourself and then I guess the stripping industry or just having that financial freedom made me really love myself. It was nothing about, like, what size my waist was. Like, I fluctuate up and down all the time. It's more, like, mental. And that's my biggest thing to girls, like... If it's fashionable to have a fat ass and you're doing it safely and you have the funds to do it, do it for you. But don't think having a big ass is going to get you every single opportunity. Every man's going to want you. It's going to solve every problem you've ever had because it's not. That's years of therapy. Years and thousands of pounds of therapy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like even something as simple as women losing weight or wanting to be skinny. I think a lot of women believe that if they're really skinny, it'll solve all their problems because they like get more attention. But what happens when you focus so much on losing weight it's like all you can think about Mm. and then when the emphasis is increasingly on how you look more than anything else you also start thinking about how you look all the time and can't stop thinking about it so it's not a way to win and I think you and I are equally supportive of women doing whatever the hell they want to feel like the best version of themselves and life is short and if looking a certain way is going to help you go into your daily life like taking the bull by the horns by all means do it but I think that the one downside to plastic surgery being so mainstream now is it's been perceived as a quick fix. And especially for young women, I think that's a problem. And that's what people don't speak about. They don't say, look, if you have the ideal body shape that you want or whatever you're going to get fixed, corrected, it's not going to change your mental attitude on how you see life, on how... I don't know, for me, it's always been like social anxiety. So I'm fine one-on-one. But if I'm in a group, I go like a little bit introverted. I overthink what I'm going to say. I'm like, am I funny enough? Am I clever enough? Whatever. And I thought by having big tits and a small nose, that that would fix social anxiety. Like, how fucked up is that? Like, why do people not say this? But that's what's so bad about like certain influencers and things when they just are like, oh, just do 100 squats a day. That will give you a big butt. Like, you're making it even harder for girls to like relate to you and think that that's normal and think that's just easy when it's all just like not spoken about they're like oh okay well she's had this surgery and it all has to be hush hush you have the surgery and you think you're going to come out a different person and it's just not reality yeah like I said I think every woman has the right to do whatever she wants but I do think that there needs to be more ownership of it and I think that the more conversations we can have about plastic surgery being seen as a quick fix maybe it'll kind of level out what we've been seeing where women on social media regardless of whether or not they're on a reality show sometimes I'm like taken aback by how fake people look now and like especially when you slap filters on top of it oh my god yeah me with a filter (gasps) I look like Frankenstein she's already at the max capacity of filler we do not need a filter to add to that I look petrified looking any bigger (laughs) literally there is no space between the nose and the top lip at that point it's It's called an allergic reaction (laughs) you know what I mean it's like Kris Jenner on the Kardashians when she gets stung by the bee in her (laughs) lips (laughs) that's me with a filter it's not okay (laughs) so let's move on to some audience submitted questions um there were a couple that i really liked so first and foremost what does your average day look like oh my god it's so boring i wish i could say it was so fun i wake up get on my peloton and then go to the gym 
maybe have a cheeky sunbed. We are from Essex. It's very like Gymtown laundry. Gym laundry. I was just about to say like, oh my God, you're such a Jersey girl, Meg. Ugh. <laughs> That's literally it. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I'll go yoga, have some Zoom calls. It's really, really boring. I live alone as well. I feel like I want to move to London. So I have a house in Essex, but I feel like I want to move to London and just like join loads of things like yoga, Pilates, like just... How often do you go into London and how far is Essex from London? Like if you commute into the city to go to like a party, for example, how long does that take you? It's like an hour, an hour and a half. Okay. But I just like Essex because everything's there. Like my family are there to go to the gym. It takes like 10 minutes, whereas in London to get 10 minutes down the road, it's going to take you like 40 minutes in a cab. And you're like, really? And then you've passed about four bars and you're like, should we just stop and have a bite to lunch? Yeah, and have a pint. Like what (laughs) at this point? (laughs) would you say that most influencers or people whose life exists primarily on social media like their day-to-day is more boring than people would imagine yeah I reckon and then a lot of people just document every tiny thing or their whole day will be evolved around what they're putting on social media does that make sense yeah so it's like not even a a real day the day exists for instagram it's all content it's like what they're doing is just to get the shot yeah and i just think oh i couldn't live my life like that and then when i do go to something exciting i'm the worst influencer i just don't post it like i'm in the moment with my friends you're having you're having too much fun unless it's me and you vaping on the tube i mean that's the kind of content i submit to my wrecking our brain cells we're like oh this is good let's let's put this up oh my god the fact that people actually did that afterwards was so bad i feel like i'm gonna burp (laughs) it's a car tape up it's fine it's okay it smells good it smells like diamonds smells like diamonds and gold i'm rich i'm drunk (laughs) I'm Um, Were your DMs and dating options better before or after you went on reality TV? Before. Let me tell you, now I've got a blue tick. Every single, like, rapper, footballer is scared that I'm going to, like, leak a story or try and be really? pat with them. I feel. Before when I just had... I had like 200,000 followers, but no, like, blue tick. I was... Before getting... Love Island, you had that many. Yeah. Oh, you were, like... You were popular. I didn't realize. Cute before. Go for you. So yeah, then they were popping off because I was like cute, but no blue ticks. So mm. They don't think I'm going to expose them. Now I do get the occasional. But can I tell you? I don't know if you get this as like a strong, sexy woman. But the amount of first dates I've gone on, and they mention pegging every time. <gasps> every time. No, that's never happened to me. I'm so never. jealous. <laughs> Oh my god, not so much that I'm like actively trying to peg a dude, but like someone asking me for that. Oh my god, Meg. It happened on two first dates. Okay, tell me more. So annoying. So he was like a sports guy and I must have been there for like 10 minutes and he was like, you know, so one of them was like, oh, I think I might be bisexual as well because I really want to get pegged. I was like, babe, that doesn't mean you're bisexual. You just want something in your butt. Right. (laughs) Right. But I'm not the girl to do that for you, I'm right. afraid. You're baby girl. Yeah. You're not I, baby daddy. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you not read the Instagram name? <laughs> but wow. yeah, and 10 minutes into a first day, that's, like, that's, that's, that's what's cringe. annoying. Because, right? And because the media always portray me as this, like, sexual person, people think that's my whole personality. Yes, I love sex, but that's like 20%. Right. 10%, you know? Right. Another question. Are reality TV people stuck dating other reality TV people forever? Is it hard to meet people in the quote unquote real world? Mm, it's not hard to meet people. 
just because like we've been on reality I think as a financially like secure good looking strong woman it's hard to meet a man anyway but there's so many insecure guys out there and I've only realized that like recently because I dated girls purely strictly girls for like a good year or so as soon as I went back to guys the amount that are so insecure and I never see myself as intimidating. Like, I'm quite small. I'm quite giggly. I'm quite cute. Like, You're I'm tiny. Not... <laughs> That's also another thing I feel like people don't realize about you because you can't tell from the pictures. Like, I know I'm obviously a very tall girl, but, like, you are small. Like, I can put you in my purse. But in my head, because I'm baby girl, I feel like I'm, like, this big. I'm, like, You're just microscopic. Look after me. <laughs> I'm, like, You're a poly pocket. <laughs> I was going to say you're the size of a sperm, but I think a polypocket <laughs> is much cuter. <laughs> um, what's the coolest thing you've been invited to do or coolest person you've met since becoming famous? Mm, favorite person I've met is Post Malone. Oh, that's good. I'm obsessed with him. I can see that for you. Yeah. It, that's the kind of daddy energy but, I need, yeah, that right? Checks out. <laughs> Face tattoos, but like a good guy. You know? Yeah. So cute. <laughs> But yeah, I was with Wes at the time and he was like closely monitoring any interaction. And I heard that Post Malone likes really like petite Asian girls and I'm like the opposite. Like look at these big dolly pot and tees and blonde hair. I was like, fuck's sake. <laughs> What's the best event you've ever been to? Mm, best event? I went to the London Fashion Awards oh, and I felt yeah. very unfashionable. This was during my dikey face with a jet black hair and about three stones heavier. And I walked to that red Zeppelin t-shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> like, who are they? Oh god. It was bad. But yeah. It what's, was, that, it was good to be what's that really glamorous one that like all the reality stars go to every year? The NTAs. Is that fun? Or is it just like chic on the red carpet? Oh no. It's just chaotic. Yeah. It's like all our said listers pretending that we're really bougie, trying to like get the most designer dress we can rent. No one wants to rent us any dresses. So we're all just wearing like really basic sequin prom dresses, <laughs> pretending that we're important. It's, there's a lot of egos in that room. That sounds like my idea of a good time. So you need to take me as your plus one next year. Oh my God. I, I would tear that shit up. <laughs> I would love that. Go. It's like all I want is to be around a bunch of D to Z listers, like pretending that they're self-important. That's my idea of heaven. You would have the best time. time. And where they're so pissed up and like into themselves. Yeah. I actually think all your questions are really serious and you're intrigued. Yeah. And you're just, we're just laughing at them. Troll them. Absolutely troll <laughs> them. Please take me. Yes, we have to. <laughs> I'm going to find out when it is. Question, can you tell us a secret about Love Island? Secret. Okay, yeah, everyone has sex. Just people don't admit it. And it was so infuriating because obviously the backlash I had. So the rules are you can have sex, but as long as the film, like, the producers can be like, oh, so we saw what happened last night. And as long as you don't say and agree and be like, oh, did you? Then they've got you. If you just say no, nothing happened. What are you talking about? No, we just spooned. Then that's fine. Shut up. Because I was always thinking like there's cameras everywhere, right? So like everybody gets captured having sex. But if you deny it to the person who's doing your like beach hot interview or whatever, yep. they you won't get away scot free. Which is so annoying that after seeing all the press, I had none of my other girl contestants come out and, and was like, everybody oh, fucks in the house. Really? I mean, that doesn't surprise me, but. Ugh, once again, we're encouraged to be liars. You yeah. know what I mean? There's something really wrong it's with that. It's so bad. But what else is another secret? Does everyone smoke? They change the smoking rules your season, yeah, right? Yeah, but you have to go off and ask permission. And say if you've just had an argument, like, I'm a smoker, so the first thing I want to do is go and have a cigarette. They're like, no, 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 you can't smoke yet. 
so you're really like pent up and just dying for a cigarette and you have to go back and round with a person first. I'm like, now the person's going to get it doubly as hard because I they can't do just do that smoke. on purpose. They're like, you can have a cigarette, but you need to destroy this person that you just got into an yeah, argument with They would with use first. it as a bargaining tool, cigarettes. It was like, it was like a posh prison to be honest at the point. <laughs> I was going to ask you another question, but honestly, I think that's the perfect place to end. In conclusion, Love Island is a posh prison. <laughs> I'm never going to work by TV again. <laughs> it's okay. I'll figure out a way to give you a job because I think you're an absolute hero. Meg, this was so fun. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Thank you, baby. You're a legend. And you got me tipsy in the process. <laughs> Once again, ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who identify as neither, my name is Allie Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. If you liked what you heard, or especially if you didn't, please consider taking literally 30 seconds out of your day and leaving a rating slash review on iTunes and Spotify. It's free. It's easy. It's the best way to support the show. Slash, I also have merch available on my website, super cozy sweatshirts and not so cozy, but equally as cute G-strings, all of which are now on sale. I so appreciate your listenership, your time, your energy, your efforts, your open-mindedness, and I look so forward to seeing and hearing from you next week. Until then, be good.